Everybody, it's Joe Jonas hanging with Jag. Hi, this is Carly Rae Jepsen, and you're listening to Jag. Ryan Seacrest with Jag. It's B.O.B. So much swag with my homie Jag. It's the Jag Show podcast. Welcome in. I am John Gay. As you hear in my intro, I'm a radio guy turned podcaster. And if you're watching this on video, you can see I'm wearing my old fleece from Detroit's 98.7 Amp Radio, which is the last radio job I had. That station no longer exists much like three and a half of the five music stations that I worked for full-time since 2004. The half is 95 X in Vermont, only has live DJs for parts of weekdays now. So when I was in radio, I always rolled my eyes at those bitter old radio guys who used to say, back in my day. This is not me being bitter about being out of radio. Professionally, I'm really happy. But what upsets me is what's happened to the industry that I loved. I want to be clear, this is not an indictment of the many people who work hard in the trenches every day and get paid way less than they're worth and try to bring you compelling content 24-7 now with smaller staffs than ever. Many of those people are my friends, and hopefully still will be by the time I finish this. Radio's been around for over 100 years, and traditionally, rumors of its demise have been greatly exaggerated. TV was going to make it obsolete. Then the World Wide Web was going to. But music radio beat back all challengers and stayed relevant, thanks to two key ingredients, music and personality. And I think as an industry, we felt invincible. But there's been a perfect storm of threats to music radio over the last 25 years. I promise this isn't going to be a history class, but this piece is where it starts. A quarter century ago, Congress and President Clinton passed and signed the Telecommunications Act of 1996, partly in response to the Internet coming into fruition. Prior to this, there were strict caps on how many radio stations one company could own, as well as how many media outlets in general. Now, this new law relaxed those caps with the idea that it would foster greater competition, but there was an unintended side effect. With the economy booming in the late 90s, some companies went on a spending spree, most notably the Mays family, who made their money on oil in San Antonio and owned a couple radio stations there. The Mays family's company, Clear Channel, bought everything they could get their hands on And at one point, they owned over 1,100 radio stations across the country, everywhere from large markets to small and everywhere in between. Now, it seemed like a solid investment until the economy had a downturn in the early 2000s. Now, the company and others were saddled with these assets, the radio stations, that they overpaid for and they were losing money on them. The company was also now being publicly traded and it had stockholders to answer to. So they started making widespread cuts before eventually taking a leveraged buyout by Bain Capital years later. And Clear Channel pioneered the practice of voice tracking, which allowed DJs to pre-record their shows, first their own shows locally, and then over a networked other cities in place of other paid employees. Thus, in a cost-cutting move, the product started to get watered down, losing its unique selling proposition, its personality. Now, the budget cuts continued throughout the decade. I was laid off from Clear Channel Burlington, Vermont in December of 2006, shortly before they sold off the small market stations there to another owner. Clear Channel's single biggest day of layoffs was January 20th, 2009, which when you think about it, pretty savvy PR move. The news was going to get buried under the inauguration of America's first black president. Across the country, other radio stations were facing similar challenges at this point. Now, also around this time, ratings technology changed. Previously, Participating listeners would fill out ratings diaries, jotting down which stations they listened to and for how long. This, of course, allowed for high human error. You didn't need to get someone to actually listen to your radio station. 
You just had to get them to think they did when they filled out the diary. It was all about recall. Also, the way most of us punch around our presets in the car, diary's not going to reflect that. You're not going to say one minute here, one minute here, one minute here, and so on and so forth. So Arbitron, now Nielsen, the ratings company, invented the PPM, or Portable People Meter. Respondents would carry them around, much like a pager or a cell phone, and it would record what stations the user was listening to. Now, there were issues, like if you're wearing headphones, it wouldn't always pick it up, and there were small sample sizes, but it seemed more accurate than the old system. PPMs were used in most of the 50 largest cities in the country, but then some more problems cropped up. An hour is divided into four equal quarter hours. Think of a clock cut in fourths. There's 0 to 15, 15 to 30, 30 to 45, and 45 back to 0. In order to get credit for a quarter hour of listening out of one particular listener, you had to get five full minutes out of that 15-minute window. Now, it could be all at once, could be in five one-minute increments or any other combination, but you needed five full minutes. So to maximize the opportunity to claim listeners and to minimize the opportunity to lose listeners, what radio stations had to do was spread their increasingly long commercial breaks across two quarter hours. So they'd straddle that 0, 15, 30, or 45 mark. So example, if you had seven minutes of commercials, they might run 41 to 48 or 13 to 20. And every station did this. Have you ever been in the car and got frustrated that every radio station is taking commercial at the same time? Well, next time that happens, you look at the clock in your car. I'll almost guarantee it's right around 15, 30, 45, or 0. And now if you're in the car, it's easier than ever with connected dashboards and Android and CarPlay to switch to Sirius, Spotify, Pandora, etc. Places that don't have commercials, and you're gone. You're probably not coming back. More on that in a moment. The other problem with portable people meters is that it accurately showed tune-out when music DJs talk too long, as we are sometimes prone to do. So they told us, make it all about the music. Talk less. And in a massive overreaction, one company even told its music DJs to limit all of their talk breaks to seven seconds or less. Think about that for a second. This further eliminated radio's personality. And what these short-sighted bean counters didn't account for is that if a DJ is compelling, people will listen. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I was the world's greatest DJ in the history of DJs. I was good enough, though, to work at a large market like Detroit twice and run a station in New Orleans. So when I was doing nights here on Channel 955 in 2011, we looked at these meters at the ratings. We'd have meters uh, and people listening during the song. We'd keep them during the minute or so of phone calls that I ran on whatever topic I was doing that night. And a lot of them would even stick around during the station promo if it was good. They didn't leave until the commercials started. So rather than working with DJs and making sure we had compelling content, they muzzled us in favor of the music. Now, this might have worked, except that Spotify, Pandora, all the other music services, they were starting to come into their own. Sure, in 2000, the idea that music radio stations should be all about the music, that might have worked. But by 2011, with the accessibility of all these apps, why would you expect a listener to spend time with a radio programmer's playlist when they could easily make one of their own? So first, music radio limited its personality, and then they lost their other key selling point, being the go-to for music. Now, I'm not saying all of radio is dead. News, sports, talk, morning shows on music stations, they're all still holding their own. Why? Personality and connection. Of the five radio stations that I worked for full-time since 2004, the only one that still exists in the same form as when I was there is Channel 955 here in Detroit. Why? Their morning show host, Mojo in the Morning, that is a bigger brand than the radio station, and it's been around longer than the radio station itself. 
It's a personality-driven morning show that has unique content that consumers cannot find anywhere else. Okay, why have I chosen this week to talk about the death of music radio? Because it's no longer pundits like me who are just saying this. The actions of the two largest radio operators in the world, or in the country rather, prove that they agree with the idea. Clear Channel rebranded itself as iHeartMedia in 2014, partly in an effort to shed the negative connotations around the name Clear Channel. And a few years later, they filed bankruptcy due to its 20-plus billion, with a B, dollar debt. And at any rate, they've been focused on podcasts, in-person events, other aspects of entertainment since. And just over a month ago, I covered this in a previous episode of The Jag Show, they announced another organizational restructure. There's going to be two divisions within iHeart. There's the Digital Audio Group. That's going to focus on all things digital, including the many companies they've bought as they've continued to lay off their radio employees. The other side, the Multi-Platform Group, will focus on live and virtual events, digital sales, data targeting, and, oh, by the way, it's 800-plus radio stations. Missing from the name of both of these groups, the word radio. Resources continue to be diverted from traditional radio to digital. Now, the second largest owner in the country is the company formerly known as Entercom, which bought CBS Radio in 2017. Entercom, short for Entertainment Communications, they'd mostly operated in medium-sized markets, and they acquired the large market, uh, high-profile stations of CBS Radio. They scrambled to emulate iHeart's infrastructure for streamlining their costs. In 2020, last year, they began consolidating DJs, a la iHeart, having a handful of DJs voice shows for similarly formatted stations across the country. And like their competitors, they continued to invest in digital while cutting staff on the music radio side. Then, this week, in a particularly facepalm move, the company, Entercom, announced a full rebrand. Entercom would now be known as Odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. It's supposed to be a clever combination of the words audio, audacity, an odyssey. But anyone who sees the name is going to see the word audacity, which coincidentally is the name of a freeware audio editing program that I despise. Anywho, Odyssey is going to focus on live events, podcasting, on-demand audio, even have a partnership with the BetMGM Sports Gambling app. They even sent out a tweet promoting six of their heritage radio brands. Two of the six, LA's K-Rock and Chicago's B96, are struggling in recent ratings. And another, Boston's 50-year heritage rock station, WAAF. They sold it to a Christian broadcasting company just over a year ago. Talk about left hand not talking to the right hand. Anyway, the tweet is linked in the show notes if you want to see it. Here's the biggest jaw dropper, though. Have you ever heard of the Radio.com app? You've probably heard of it, at least. That was CBS and then Intercom. Well, Odyssey is going to sunset both the app and the domain Radio.com as part of their rebrand. As my colleague Matt Kundal points out, radio has become a four-letter word. Think about this. He says, how much would the domain radio.com have been worth 10 years ago? Now, Entercom, excuse me, Odyssey is basically throwing it away. The two biggest players in commercial radio don't even want to be associated with the word radio anymore. Think about that. Now, I'm not ready to pull the plug on music radio just yet. And there are some diamond-in-the-rough radio stations across the country that still connect with their listeners. I mentioned Channel 955 here in Detroit. But if radio is going to get off life support, smaller local companies need to buy radio stations back from these corporate behemoths. Programming decisions have to be made by radio people, not CPAs and other bean counters. Why are podcasts so big now with over 2 million in existence? Because people want to connect with other people. 
That's never been more true than in the pandemic. Look, as technology evolves, the old AM and FM radio transmitters, they might become relics of the past. As 4G, 5G, and more proliferate our world, we become more and more connected. What used to be an over-the-air broadcast might become completely digital and online. But whatever the delivery method, the product matters. And with the big boys abandoning local radio for podcasts and more, it is going to take a revolution to bring radio back. And for those of you in it, keep fighting the good fight. As always, stay healthy, stay safe, and I will talk to you next week. Later. If you like what you just heard, share The Jag Show with someone else who's interested in podcasts. You can also follow The Jag Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For help creating or improving your podcast, visit jagindetroit.com.